Good morning. Psalms 122. I was glad when because they said to me, Hey, we're going up to the Lord's house. We're going to his temple. Our feet are standing inside your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a city that is designed to an accommodate an assembly. The tribes go up there, the tribes of the Lord, where it is required that Israel give thanks to the name of the Lord. Posture your heart this morning just in thanksgiving. Just thanking you, Lord. We just thank you so much for everything. Just bless you. So good, Lord. So good. You're faithful. government or out of this place of thanksgiving it says the leaders sit in their own thrones making legal decisions and so all government flows from a place of thanksgiving and they're making this prayer pray for the peace of Jerusalem may those who love her walk in uh, full prosperity May there be peace inside your defenses and prosperity inside your fortresses. For the sake of my brothers and my neighbors, I will say, uh, may there be peace in you. And for the sake of my brothers and sisters, I, I say, may there be peace in you. May there be peace in you. be peace right now in all of us just to let yourself just breathe in take a deep breath and just Lord you're the God of peace Lord you're our hope Lord we place all our trust in you this morning sake of the temple of the Lord our God, I pray for your prosperity. Amen. I'm 
to me in this dark place I will waste I will waste my breath on you and your praise we will choose to persevere to press into the darkness to press into the darkness oh to press into the darkness
those skeletons oh just watch they will oh you paid for so much more resurrection life resurrection life oh king jehovah
especially obedience. And I will waste all on you. Jericho in the war of Greece. We won't back down, we won't be dismayed. His word is true, hide it in your hearts. Cities ours that start to march. Down, I won't be dismayed. His word is true. 
His ark is moving, His word is moving, His 
Judgment is moving, the wave is rising, and the dawn is piercing, and the morning star is shining. Oh God, put your words in our mouth. Help our unbelief, help our unbelief.
will not dwell in a temple made by hands. And I made your body for you to offer. Quit trying to add to what I've made. Oh, his promise is moving, his ark is moving. And his word is rising.
You said if any of us try to keep our life, we will lose it. We will lose it. We will lose it. Oh, don't try to hold on to anything. Place it all down before the good, the bad, and the ugly. Oh.
John 7, 32. The Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things about Jesus. So the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. And Jesus said, I will be with you for only a little while longer. And then I'm going to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. Then the Jewish leaders said to one another, where is he going to go that we cannot find him? He is not going to go to the Jewish people dispersed among the Greeks and teach the Greeks, is he? What did he mean by saying, you will look for me, but you will not find me? And where I am, you cannot come. On the last day of the feast, the greatest day. So they, um, this was the eighth day of Tabernacles, which would be like today. And it was called the greatest day. Jesus stands up and he shouts out. He makes this proclamation. If you're thirsty. Come to me. If you're thirsty, come and drink. He says, if you believe in me, drink. Because the scripture says, from within him will flow rivers of living water. Jesus was saying this about the Spirit whom those who believed in him were going to receive. For the Spirit had not yet been given. Because Jesus was not yet glorified. People started to hear these words and they said, some of the crowd began to say, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ, which was in the old covenant, they would have seen this as Mashiach. This is the anointed one that had been prophesied to all our forefathers from all the years before. This is the one who's talking now. This is just a prophetic voice, some people thought, but no, this is the one.
Some people said, he can't be the Christ because does this guy come from Galilee? Don't the scriptures say that Christ is the descendant of David and he'll come from Bethlehem? And so all of a sudden there was this big division concerning Jesus. Some of them wanted to lay hands on him and seize him instantly. time he said I went all in for the Lord and I feel more empty now than I was when I began and this old dear brother said to him he says oh friend the Lord has just been emptying you out so he can fill you our trust in more than you. You wanted to vacate us so you could fill us. And we need you, Holy Spirit. We need you, Holy Spirit, more than our own life. We need this living water that you were talking about, Lord. The church of the living God needs it on the earth now more than ever. We need an awakening. Yes, Tabernacles has done its work. It's displaced us. It's left us feeling high and dry. Yes, okay. We've been looking for security, Lord, and everything. When you said that I wanted to feel you, spirit and give you a life more abundant. I wanted to give you me. Forgive us, Lord, for placing our trust in other things. What else can we do? Unless you carved out a place in us, we would go about doing our very own thing, our very own way, finding security. I'll give you water. I'll give you water. And I need this water. I admit my need. I can do nothing without you. I admit my helplessness. I admit my full dependence. And I don't want to hide from you anymore. And shame and guilt. I just need you. And I know that you're glorified now. And I know that you sit enthroned. And I found out you were standing because you have victory over all sin. And you said that you would come back a second time not to deal with sin, but to save us, Lord, who are eagerly waiting on you. And I call your word to account out of Hebrews 9, 28, that I need to be saved again.
church. We need your double blessing. We need, we need a baptism. We need a fire. We need water. And we claim our need this morning. And I know this is your great intercession. I know that you've been interceding for us, Lord, that we would be made one. There was no other way, Lord, that we could be found to be one unless you came in and carved out a place in us that is you. That Christ in us is the hope of glory. And I claim that you are the sovereign one and there is none like you. There is none like you, then there is nothing like you. And there never ever will be anyone like you. And I say, Lord, please draw us, draw us, draw us to you, Lord. Draw us, draw us, draw us. For without you, we can... Nothing, Lord, without you, or nothing, Lord. And I know you desire this more than we have. I recognize that you've been pursuing us, that you've been longing to find a place that you could dwell, a resting place where you don't have to strive with us anymore. Our ending is your beginning here in us right now. You're God, and we're not. You're uncreated, and we are your creation. You're so good. I found you to be the sweetest. us not to grieve you, Lord. Help us not to push you out. Drop. 
You can come, you can come. If you're thirsty, come. If you're thirsty, come. If you're thirsty.
Stop trying to make it look like you can see. Stop trying not to be the way I made you totally dependent on me. If you only knew me, you would ask of me. Living waters, living waters. Are you thirsty or do you just want a band-aid to make sure it looks like you're strong? Oh, are you thirsty for me? Are you thirsty for me? Are you thirsty for me, for me, for me? If you only knew me, you would ask of me. Living waters, resurrecting waters. Cause he's pulling bucketfuls of water. Naked and poor and blind with nothing 
living waters confused a lot of our felt needs in life. Like how could the Lord actually create a felt need but that he had designed things in your life to really back you into a corner so that he could reveal himself to you to just rush out of you. We try to protect ourselves from felt needs. We try to build systems and structure. And maybe some of us have hide. Stephen was saying we we go bury our head in the sand. We go run from our relationships because they hurt sometimes. We get pushed up into those barrier places. You know what we're looking for? We're looking for origin. We're trying to find that origin. Where do I come from? Why do I even exist? Why am I? This pressure, that pressure is hitting, 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 relational, whatever, financial. And your health. Why? I just want to, like, the Holy Spirit, I just wanted to, Jesus on this last day, greatest days. I just want to open you up. I just need a vessel. I can wash you. I, I can free you. I can just love through you and experience me, experiencing you, experiencing me at the same all the time. You don't have to be like back into isolation, back into finding, back into uh, another difficult place. I, I'll just liberate your origin. Why? Origin outside of space-time. Origin, I made you for me. I, I created you for me. This can't be. How could everything function out of that? Yes, everything. That's what Jesus was saying. Everything you need is in me. I'm your full satisfaction. Just me, myself, myself and I. I got you. I created all your felt needs to drive you to me. You want affliction or affection? I wouldn't even know, Lord, how to even do this right. I know. So I'm going to put some things around you that's going to make you like you're going to be looking you're going to be searching you're going to be going everywhere trying to find where it where and here I am this is what he's saying here I, here I am right now to meet you right where you're at
said something off to me. Back into hiding. No, I'm with you. No more hiding. This thing, it keeps coming at me and it does not work out for me. Back into you. I got it. I got it for you. I'm going to do it for you. But there's no way it can't work out. I got you. I'm going to take care of you because I love you. Just come to me, you who are weak and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest for your soul. I'll give you peace as you passes all your understanding, what you can't even understand. I'll just walk, I'll just rush in on your situation. They done me wrong, Lord. I'm tired of retreating back into myself. I keep getting attacked in this thing. He's like, just come to me. Offload it all. Take care of this obligation. I can let me have it. Just let me have it. Let me have you. I'll just rush out of you and I'll do it for you. I'm gonna take care of you. I'm your father. And David said this. He says, he said, he said, I'm he said, You're my father. <laughs> so the orphan nature, like I've been adopted. I've been brought in. I've been redeemed by the blood. I'm going to redeem everything for you. I'm going to take care of it all for you. But I sinned against you. I'm here to forgive. Forgive as far as the east is from the west. And in life, 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 flowing out, gushing out.
I fully trust you, Lord. He told me to tell you to say that to him. I can't say that, no, say it to him. I fully trust you, Lord. Yeah. I fully, fully have all my confidence in you because my confidence is not based in me. My confidence is based on you in me. It's based on Christ who lives in you. That's where my confidence is. In that way, I can say that my confidence is fully in you. Christ fully dwelling in me. I can believe this way. slave he shall serve six years and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing but if the slave plainly says I love my master my wife and my children I will not go out free then his master shall bring him to God and he shall bring him to the door or the doorpost and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall be his slave forever. It's interesting that uh, tabernacles will be interesting that this is a time when the slave is slave to his master but on, on that time he can say I love you so much master that I want to be your bond servant I want to put my ear low on the door I want is a sign of my commitment to you, my total dependency upon you. I will not be making my living. I will be serving you, trusting in your household to provide for my household. I freely relinquish my life to you. And then 
a nail would be placed through his ear on the door. I believe that there's this time where the Lord is setting a place for us that we would commit to him. We can go our own way. We're free to do so, but there's this commitment of being a bond servant to the Lord that we uh, symbolically would take our earlobe and have it nailed. I was, I was thinking of this, even praying that, Lord, I, I don't even want to, I don't want to even, fors- I don't even want the choice to forsake you. I just want you everything that you have. I don't want to go this way or that. I want you everything. I just want you. The Lord brought to mind this scripture. So Lord, we we submit ourselves to you, Lord. We said that there's no place else we want to go, Lord. There's no place we desire for our household to be under you. We submit ourselves to you. We put put the nail, drive it into the door, which is you. And there's something significant about the door, that there's doors that are going to be open up to us. Scripture says about going in and out of pasture through these doors, which is Christ. And there's doors that are going to be open into different realms, into different opportunities and places. And as you make that commitment, as you say, Lord, I want that, I want to be nailed to that door to you so securely, Lord. The Lord will be greatly pleased. to be here um i don't know man it was like i was so eager to be with god and with the people of god this morning even after being with god and the people of god all last two weeks but i ran into a bunch of obstacles anyway i drove here and didn't shower but man i just showered anybody else shower this morning (laughs) 
Um, so anyway, if if I want to go get some water, you know, this morning, I have to walk over and I got to go over to one of those jugs over there and put some in it and then drink and then I drink it. But what if when I drank this water, whoa, there's, I, when I drank that water and something started digging around in here and I drink a little more, oh my goodness, I think a jug is forming inside of my belly. That's what Jesus was saying to the Samaritan woman. Listen to this. Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water shall thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. The water that I shall give, listen to this. The water that I give creates inside of the human heart a well. This is actually water well. It's not just well water, it's water that creates a well inside of us, springing up to eternal life. So, of course, she says, uh, okay, show me this water, because I don't want to have to keep coming all the way here. I don't want to have to walk over there and get more water. My cup's almost empty now. i got to keep walking over and get more and more. This is how he answers her. When she says, okay, I want this water. I want, I want to know what this well is so I don't have... This is what he says. He says, go get your husband. What? Was Jesus just wanting to invite another person into this story? Yes, a very important person. But that person didn't even exist. She didn't have a husband. She was sleeping with somebody. So what he was doing was in a very respectful, kind way was digging the well. He was beginning to dig the well in her heart. And then she confesses, I don't have a husband. And then Jesus says, okay, her heart is opening. And then he shares with her that he knows her. He knows her history. The thing that would most shame her, I mean, she's a woman, she's a Samaritan woman, and she's had five husbands. And she's sleeping with somebody. So he doesn't expose her to expose her. He's letting her know how much she's loved. Because the whole point is I'm trying to give you living water. The woman says, oh, I have a prophet on my hands. Again, she's thinking physical well. Now she's thinking physical man. And then she says, our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And you people say that in Jerusalem it's the place where men should worship. So she's saying... I'm not allowed in. I can't go. Now she's shifted from a well to the worship center of the earth. And then Jesus says this. He says, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. You worship what you don't know. Samaritans didn't. We worship which we do know for salvation comes from the Jews. But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. This verse that we hear quoted all the time, this verse is about a well inside of us. 
we worship. It's about Jerusalem inside of us. It's the throne of God inside of us. For the kingdom of God is within us. The well of God is within us. Then the woman says, oh my goodness, prophet? What is he talking about? He says, I've heard the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he will declare all things to us. She's, she's, her well is, her heart is open totally up. And then he says, I'm him. I who speak to you am he. What happens after that, you got to keep reading John 4, because what happens after that is amazing when she's sent out as an evangelist after that. It's awesome what happens in Samaria. But what was most awesome, the only reason what happened in the country could be awesome is what happened in her. What happened between her and him. So I'm going to just finish with a couple points of reference. They're not wells, but there's a point of reference called the 10 days of awe and tabernacles. This is a point of reference, but the 10 days of awe, this is what the Lord says. You are now entering the 10 days of awe. That was a warm-up. God gives us points of reference to celebrate the truths and realities historically that he's given to us. He's feasting, but they're points of reference to bring us into that reality that's within, in him. There's another one coming up. People that maybe don't celebrate in that way, Halloween. There's actually a longing in people's hearts for something in that horrible holiday. That there's actually a longing. There's something about the human heart that longs for something spiritual, magical, even mysterious and dark. And there is a deeper longing for the hallowed Eve of God. He is holy. He is hallowed. Have you seen all the creatures that are around his throne? There is so much more amazingness about him than there could ever be in Halloween. These are fallen creatures. Holy is your name. Hallowed be your name. The last one is the most special, and this is the one that Jesus was actually pointing to the most beyond a well, because it was her whole life. It's in the darkness of night when lovers touch. There's a deeper touch even than that. Hallowed be thy name, God. said if he lost his mind it it was for God but if he found it it was for everybody else <laughs> I love that verse so I just found myself again so we could communicate God's word here well let's begin let's just jump right in because we have this beautiful text to jump into and we've heard a lot and seen a lot this morning but I'm excited about today's our time together in this message, and it's probably one of your most favorite books, which is my favorite book, is Job, and so we're going to leap into Job this morning and start in Job 19, and I'm going to begin in verse 13 together, so Job 19, 13, 
as you know, because I'm sure, and maybe not everybody here, but if you've been immersed into, into Job's life, you know that the Lord has propositioned our enemy who's come up before the throne of God, and he said, have you considered my guy, uh, my servant Job? Have you, have you considered him down there? I want you to think about him. Well, hey, Job serves you. Job, the only reason why he serves you is because you hook him up. You've got a hedge around him. You take care of him. You gave him this beautiful family. He's got wealth. He's got health. He's, everything's going good for him. So I tell you what, if you were to pull the hedge back on him, if you pull his hedge back, Job's going to curse you and die. And he says, well, we'll see about that. Go down there and mess with him. But don't take his life or his wife's life. He doesn't say that his wife's life, but she was there. Mess with him on every other thing. I'll pull the hedge back. I'll let you invade his world. And so he does. The grand villain comes down. He's apparently given some kind of power to afflict him physically, financially, and relationally. His kids come, you know, they're all killed. All of his prosperities stripped from him. His maidservants, servants are gone. He's struck with a boil on his skin. If you've ever had any kind of like sores like that, they're extremely painful. And so he's physically like devastated, financially devastated, and devastated is losing his family. And many of us, I think, have wondered, like, and so did Bildad, Zophar, and Eliphaz, his three buddies, was like, obviously, you've done something wrong because they have a retributive justice model that a good man gets good things, a bad man gets bad things. And so this kind of justifying or understanding life is at the foundation of three pretty bright, actually, theologians. They're, they're going to present a theology that I think would probably get along with almost every other believer today, but maybe not God. Because uh, you know, like the outcome, because we got to read Job. Uh, those guys didn't speak right about me. So something was off concerning their idea of justice and retribution as it related to Job. Because God's going to make it so. And you know, and without just getting prepped on this, that this kind of thing has inundated everything that we're involved in in our life. Well, if you wouldn't have done that, that wouldn't have happened. I mean, has anybody ever thought that, said that, believed that, lived that way? Pete's pointing to Stephen. <laughs> he did, not me. <laughs> I don't think that way, but it's just like, well, if you do this, you get that. Well, that's what you get, Job. That's the, the mechanism of the three guys. Who fooled you? You bewitched you, Galatians. I mean, later on, we're going, Paul's going to be like, what did y'all do? You're going to go back to Sinai when you're meant to live out of Zion? You're back to self-justification and justifying yourself 
You're going to live like that? I mean, what's Paul talking about when he says, I don't care if anybody judges me, neither do I even judge my own self. What is he talking about? I mean, what kind of, can you, I mean, live like that? Can a person live like that? It's, it almost sounds like that that is so off to the way we live our life every day. What are those guys talking about? That's why, like, I, ne- I told you I never really liked the words good news. I always thought, whatever, it's not really that good of a news. Because if I do this, I get that, and I do this, and I get that, and I put this in, I get that out. Well, so does everybody else. How is Christianity any different than the way the world lives? They do this and get that and do this and get that. I mean, isn't that the same thing? What, the, how do you, what are you all talking about, good news? I don't want to hear it. Don't even say it's good news because it's just the same old thing I hear everybody else say. They don't even know the Lord. And they're doing the same thing every day. I put this much in, I get that much out, right? I might as well just come off with it. So there has to be something else going on with us. There has to be. Yeah, I mean, I'm like, okay, good news, whatever. I mean, I know it's called the gospel. But I mean... It has to be something different if it's not that. Oh, I got y'all primed, don't I? (laughs) I got myself primed. (laughs) And I tell you, we can't hear this message enough, can we? I want to hear this message again. I want to hear something that's better than good news. I don't want to hear fake news or good news. I want to hear the news. So the Lord takes me to this this week for us, and so let's look at it. Job 19.13, he has put my relatives far from me. Well, for some of us, that wouldn't be such a bad thing. (laughs) Thank you, God. (laughs) I just planned. My acquaintances... They only turn away from me. He has sovereign God in charge. He has, I recognize that he has caused a distance to come between me and some of my closest acquaintances, even some of my own bloodline. He has. Um, My kinsmen have failed me. I was looking for someone else to bring redemption into my life and help me out of my bind. They let me down. You ever had that thought in your mind? I wonder if they'll help me out with this thing that I can't get through, and then they don't. Maybe they do, but someone, you're thinking they're going to redeem a situation for you? I got someone so mad one time because I told them I'd really like to buy you dentures. And they interpreted that was huge. And they interpreted that as I was going to buy them dentures. And I, I was telling Leander this week, don't just say you're going to do something because he had offered Manny a Chick Fil A sandwich, and then he told Manny that he was just kidding. He, <laughs> and I said, don't state your intention, son, out of your love and affection for your brother, and then not come through on your word. You know, sometimes we're looking for our kinsmen to redeem us, and 
They don't come through, and then we start to feel bad towards them. He's saying, you know, what is God doing here? God's backing Job into a corner. My closest blood don't want to be around me. The one I thought was going to help me out, not going to. My friends forgot me. My guests and even the servants uh, consider me a stranger. <laughs> I think that's funny because, like, uh, I'm in charge of you. I don't know you. <laughs> you know, you, no, you work for me. I, I don't know you. I, what are you talking about? I'm a stranger to even the ones we don't expect. Hey, when the servant doesn't even want to be around the master because it makes them look bad, <laughs> it's bad. When the employee doesn't want to be next to the employer, because it's reflecting bad on them, it's got bad. I don't know if you know what I mean, but I'm a foreigner in their eyes. I, I summon my servant. He doesn't even respond. And even though I implore him with my own mouth. We were joking on the way here at service this morning and about Manny was joking. He's a bit of a jokester. You wouldn't know it, but because he's real stone-faced sometimes. He's like, have a nice day. Have a nice day. Stop telling me what to do. <laughs> we were laughing about it because I was like, no, I wasn't trying to tell you. Okay, forget it. You know, I was just, have a nice day. Stop it. How dare you tell me what to do? But I like Manny. He's got that sense of humor like I summon my servant, but he doesn't even respond. I implore him with my own mouth, please come. Have a nice day. Stop telling me what to do. You make me feel bad. My breath is repulsive to my wife. <laughs> I highlighted that and sent it to Kara this week. <laughs> I just thought it was funny. And she shall do you good all your days. Go brush her teeth. <laughs> I am loathsome to my brothers. Even youngsters have scorned me. When I get up, they scoff at me. All my closest friends detest me, and those whom I love have turned against me. I don't, I don't think Job's like getting into self-pity. Honestly, I don't know. Maybe he is. But I think he's just stating mere fact. The man's going through it. My bones are sticking out of my skin and my flesh. I have escaped alive with only the skin of my by the skin of my teeth. I didn't even know that was in the Bible. You know, I thought that was just a common, what is that called? Colloquialism? By the skin of my teeth. I call it riding by the seat of your pants. But he's like, everything's like on the edge. I don't know how I'm going to make it. It's just by the skin of my teeth. And he says, um, have pity on me, my friends. Have pity on me. Okay, maybe he does want some pity. <laughs> For the hand of God has struck me. Who struck him? The hand of God. Why do you pursue me like God does? Will you never be satiated with my flesh? All that my words were written down, all that they were written on a scroll, that with an iron chisel and with lead they were engraved in a rock forever. As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives and that he at the last 
He's going to stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God, whom I will see for myself, and whom my own eyes will behold and not another. My heart grows faint within me. If you say, how will we pursue him since the root of trouble is found in him? Fear the sword yourself, for wrath brings the punishment by the sword, so that you may know there is judgment. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. And thank you for the preaching of the word and for the unction of the word. I pray that it would bring life to us this morning. Help me, Lord, to say what it is that you would say out of my mouth that would be commensurate with your mind, your heart for us. You're our Father. Love you, Lord. Amen. This week, I could not figure out what was going on last Sunday. I, I, I'll be truthful. I was like, what is happening in this, our event? I just was like, all of a sudden, I'm back at Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. You know, and I'm like, would you be mine? Won't you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? And I go back to a childhood home that Dad uh, built when I was, you know, a little guy over here in Edneyville. And then I go see my cousin I haven't seen in a while uh, over there with the pumpkin patch over in Edneyville, uh, Stacy Nix. And uh, we went over there, Leander wants some pumpkins. I, I'm trying to, like, put everything together. And I get home that evening, and I said, I, I can't figure out what's going on. So I, I wrote uh, Pete Lineker, and I said, man, what's going on? He said, I think it has something to do with tabernacles. And I was like, Tabernacles, I know you mentioned that a couple months ago, but I'm like, what has Tabernacles got to do with today? So I go in on the internet and I was like, Tabernacles, what day is Tabernacles 2022? You're not going to believe this. It was last Sunday. It started last Sunday. I'm like, I was the last person to know. <laughs> oh, thank you, Steve, for the last shall be first. <laughs> I was like, why didn't you tell me? I didn't know today was Tabernacles. What is going on? And I said, oh, I know what's going on. And then I said, what is Tabernacles? I mean, what is it? Now, we know like how Israel was given a feast to celebrate Tabernacles, but, and I was thinking about, okay, they go and go camp out. They go out to their houses for seven days. They all eat together out there. They sleep in a tent or a, what's called a sukkah, right? And um, that's cool. You know, they're recognizing what happened during their wilderness wandering, and they're thanking God for what happened for bringing them into the land of promise, and they're experiencing some of that experience of, of God ordained this feast. You will remember what it was like to feel completely left high and dry, not knowing how you're going to sort of we don't have a home. We don't have a house. We don't know where we live. And the Lord's like, you get tabernacles. I was like, oh, I get tabernacles. Oh, that's what you've been doing all along. He's like, right. I've been looking for a dwelling place. And so I, Pete and I were dialoguing back and forth, and I was like, oh, man, what is this? 
And while, Tom, I'm like in agreement, you know, with the millennial reign, a thousand-year reign, the Lord said, I want to have tabernacles now. You know, like there's a literal second coming of the Lord, but then there's a second coming now. The Lord's been raising up a first fruits company that he could tabernacle with that I believe will be the expression that he's looking for in the end of the age, which will hasten the day of the Lord because the Lord himself has found a place where he can rest. The Lord said, I, actually, your whole entire ministry is about tabernacles. I said, oh, like I'm the last person to know. I'm like, what do you think you're talking about when you say I'm seeking a dwelling place and a place to rest? And man, I, my scratching in my head started to be like, oh, man. And so um, Whitaker sends me something, and I, I just thought it was so a way to launch into today. And, uh, and some of you can geek out on this a little bit if you've been Star Trek fans. Anybody been a Star Trek fan? I got a few in the congregation. 1982, your Carol was born. Uh, I guess it was Gene Roddenberry, is that right? I don't know that he wrote this particular script because there was an argument on who wrote it. But there was, a, there was one of the seasons that came out, it was called um, it was Star Trek to the Wrath of Khan. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, you like it, Henry? The Wrath of Khan, and at the beginning opening of this, and I don't know if you've seen Star Trek Into Darkness, I'm not saying you should watch it or whatever, but it's like a newer version of this same film, the Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. There's something very interesting that happens at the beginning of that film. And uh, I'm going to re read this to you. It was called the Kobayashi Maru. And in the Kobayashi Maru, it's a training exercise in Star Trek franchise that's designed to test the character of Starfleet Academy cadets with a no-win scenario. The Kobayashi Maru test was first depicted in this 1982 film, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. And it has been since been referred to and depicted in numerous other Star Trek uh, media. The notional goal of the exercise is to rescue a civilian spaceship called the Kobayashi Maru, which is damaged and stranded in a dangerous territory. The cadet being evaluated must decide whether to attempt the rescue of Kobayashi Maru, endangering their ship and crew, or to leave the Kobayashi Maru to certain destruction. If the cadet chooses to attempt a rescue, the, the simulated scenario, an insurmountable enemy force attacks their vessel. And so that basically, if they leave everybody, like we're not going to go help anybody, just forget the Kobayashi Maru, they're going to die. But if they go and say, nope, we're going to rescue them. We're going to fix this problem. We're going to go down to the Kobayashi Maru in the test that they put them in. They put such a, an enemy against them, there's no way they can win. So they're going to fail either way. But then there's this one guy, James Tiberius Kirk. And Kirk decides to 
do something that's really interesting. He decides that he's going to actually, he goes in and does this, and he re reprograms the test itself. And so became the only cadet to ever defeat or win the simulation battle of the Kobayashi Maru. Don't you love it, Tom? And so today, Kobayashi Maru has entered into the popular lexicon as a reference to a no-win scenario. And it's sometimes referred to this, and here we go, to invoke Kirk's decision to change the condition of the test. You guys been listening to the preaching up here about unconditional election? That there's only one who's fulfilled every condition? What we've been doing would have never worked. I mean, this thing hit me so much this week. I said... If we were to try to go rescue humanity from the fall, you see how much success we're having? I don't know about you. I was just kind of like, I don't know what you're going to do with all them because it looks like a no-win scenario to me. I've had um, talked to a gentleman last night down from uh, Charleston, South Carolina. He said, man, me and my church, we're down there in Charleston, non-denominational church, praying for revival to come in. Carol, I, I was sure. It was kind of a neat, I'd never met him before as a neighbor, Tom and Janie's neighbors. His daddy's name's Carol. His daddy was a preacher. I was like, that's the strangest thing, you know. He said, man, I, we were pushing for revival, asking the Holy Spirit to move, and nothing. He said, I've left disappointed. I just thought God was going to come down. We were going to go and get a scenario out of our local fellowship and go uh, save those people that are broken, lost, and in need. And I would give up. He told me that. He said, I know that if we humble ourselves and pray and seek his face, he'll heal our land. I know that's what the Bible says, but it is not working. And I saw his face last night, and I saw what he's done. He's done what a lot of other people have done, maybe and even including myself. I don't know. I, I hope not. We realize that all our effort and everything we've been bringing to the table, something is not working to get them. Something wasn't working in Israel. Something hasn't worked today. And I'm like listening to this thing about this Kobayashi Maru, and it, I, I, I realized it's always been a no-win scenario, the way we've been going about it. It was never going to work the way, that way. So some of the church, you know what they did? They, ins they went insular. My four no more. Let's carve out a thing. I'm elected. I'm predestined. We'll just hang out together. We're going to be friends. We're going to uh, tough this thing through till the Lord comes back. 
sit back in our chairs because this thing isn't going to happen. And so many of the churches give up. Oh. We gave up because it was a no-win scenario. It was the penultimate Kobayashi Maru. What else could we do? Because we went out there, we ran our campaigns, we tried to run our, all of our programs. And let me just list off some of them for you. Since the Lord listed them off to me. I remember in 2008 when MZ Hot began. I remember like it's yesterday, because I remember Jerry Ann Allred at 67 years of age, who played the drums for us, the Lord giving her hair back, because he told me before I got up to preach, I'm going to give someone's hair back to him, and she wanted curly hair, and the Lord gave her curly hair, even though her hair was straight as a stick, and I said, that's a miracle. That's a straight-up miracle. You give some 67-year-old lady's hair back that wanted it from a child, that's a miracle. I was like, we're on to something. This other lady, I call it out in a meeting. Somebody's getting her hair. Then we got a right rotator cuff. There's only 40 people there. I was like, they're going to stone me as a false prophet. It's not like I have 4,000 people there with 800 of them and they lost their hair. <laughs> right rotator cuff, and someone else has an abdomen pain. 84-year-old man in the service, he's about this tall, comes up to me weeping. He said, as soon as you said it, he said, I came here. The Holy Spirit told me to come. It was right over here at uh, present-day Rafa House in a back room. That's where I was ministering. He comes up. He's crying. I was completely healed instantly. I have the most severe stomach pain. It's gone instantly as soon as it came out of your mouth. The Lord said, I'll heal a stomach pain. I'll heal a right rotator cuff. Lady comes back two weeks later. She's in the parking lot. Arm crack, 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 pop. She's healed. I said, man, we are on to something. All this praying and worshiping the Lord is, oh, we're going to bring it. We're going to save the world. Uh, coming right out of Gordon Conwell, took a personality test. You have the personality to lead five, 10,000 people. You will be the next guy. <laughs> I was like, I'm the next guy. <laughs> I'm going to be the mega church of the healing mega church guy. We're going to have this and that. And let me just read them off to you. I was like, oh, man, we're set. Whoo, we got something to give to the world. I thought my personality alone's going to do this. <laughs> I got a personality. Just wait till you see the thing come out. It's pretty shut down otherwise, but this thing comes out. Whoo, <laughs> I get all kinds of people to show up. I'm going to wear my spacesuit. <laughs> Anyways. Mega church in short order. People receiving healing and miracles. Gospel, kingdom, centeredness. Hey, we're not just the gospel guy. We're the kingdom guy too. Yeah, we're gospel-centered and we're kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. We're not going to fall into one of y'all other camps, man. We got both camps in this house. Hey, if that throws you... And we've got the meditation and contemplation ramp coming on for all you meditation contemplation people. I'm ready for you. We've got prophetic worship and intercession. We can play some worship like the best of them. Some of it, the worst of them. <laughs> but we even do intercession, man. We're five folders and third waivers. 
We're like, we believe the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher is intact today. And we're third waiver, fourth waiver, fifth waiver. It don't matter. We'll wave. Wave. God's with us. Do a wave offering. Anyways, we'll do all the waving. Hello. You know, or like this. We're royal. Cheeky, cheeky. Heck, we even do 4D Yungi Cho. We do that too. We're word of faith and prosperity message and wealth and health and the whole kit and caboodle. I believe in all of it. Oh, if that's not enough for some of you, we'll do counseling and inner healing also. If you're a little bit more like that, we can do that. We'll do salvation and deliverance. You got demons? Don't worry about it. Just come on in. Boom, they're out. They don't like hanging out with us anyways. Church growth and, and coaching. can coach, whatever. Church growth, yeah. Been to Exponential. Been down there with all the conference guys. It's amazing. Oh, if that's not enough, we do business consulting and apostolic government. <laughs> we can set this thing in order. National, international, multinational, galactic. We got it. We got it all. We're, we're like all in on him. We have the all-win scenario. Family restoration and children education. <laughs> Popping babies out left and right. <laughs> Anti-abortion? Oh, yeah. I mean, yes. In times ministry, judgment stuff, let's deal with it all. We got it all. It's on our tabs on our website. <laughs> Just click on it. You'll be jettisoned into... I don't know, but still, it's going to be amazing. I remember the guy, uh, uh, Greg Lewis, he told me, he's like, Carol, what are you doing? It's like your whole website's got everything on it. I was like, because we're going to do everything for him. We're bringing it all to bear to 27 people. <laughs> Anyways, which is our whole leadership team, by the way. We got 24-7. We're going to do exactly what Mike Bickle's doing out there. Night and day prayer. We got vision, man, like mission, like you've not seen. I got a budget that is stellar. We even give to other ministries. <laughs> We're pretty amazing. We're going to do it all. All of it. <laughs> some of y'all had some of these things, but we have all of all of these things. <laughs> Man, I was like, you know what? I, I was like, I left the Air Force. We're going into this thing. We're going to do the whole thing. <laughs> and then I'm like sitting at my desk with everything and all these things. And the Lord so tenderly just comes across my consciousness. You've lost your first love. He said, I want you to quit. And you're not going to advertise those healings or those miracles. I thought that's what you wanted us to do. We'll get major advertising going. We'll get this thing. It'll, it'll light up. We'll be amazing. You, we'll be amazing. I don't know if you will, but we will. <laughs> Watch it. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> Watch it. <laughs> We're Nazarene, we're Baptist, we're Pentecostal, we're non-denominational, we're whatever. 
We're all things to all men. Just not very much to the men. Oh, man. And he says this to me, and it was as clear as day. This is coming into 2010, 2011. He said, I tell you what. It's not what I want to do. It's not going to work. I was like, man, I don't get you, man. You. I don't get you. He said, I have a different idea. And it's going to be the hardest thing you've ever been through in your entire life. I want you. I want you. Lock, stock, and barrel. I'm going to have to change the rule. We're not going to win the Kobayashi Maru. It's a no-win scenario. I'm going to have to change the rule. I'm going to have to, like, take over you. You see, I'm wanting something different. I want something different. And I'm not going to have leadership doing this anymore. I'm about fed up with it. I was like, Lord, all those things are good things. They're not me. I was like, I don't understand. I, I, you know, I don't understand. You want us? I, I, I don't get it. He's like, what do you think I want to do? Just keep on putting arms and legs on people? When I went to the cross to give you me, I got to tell you, I, I got to tell you, this thing that he wants has been no easy thing to believe for. That God would want to one himself with man. That the word would want to come down and tabernacle with you. That God could carve out a place inside of you. That that's what he really wanted all alone. He said, you build all these things, all of y'all have. And you're never going to win like that. Because I am the condition. It never was going to work. It never, it never was going to, it never was. We've been fooling ourselves. I'm the quintessential fool in, of the self, me. He needed to pick somebody that would try to do everything, I guess, so that they would learn that they could do nothing without him. Nothing. Nothing. Jesus said, I do nothing except what I see my father doing. Uh, this week, I, I was like, I have no word for this. You know, we have a P word every week. I was like, I have no word. I wrote Pete about it. I wrote Gus about it. I was like, what, what is the right word for God, you know, sort of like completely like taking over? And um, together, they come out with this word this week. Photomorphogenesis. <laughs> it is actually a word. Uh, Gus found it. It is a biological word. 
it's been related to plants. But there's, Gus wrote me this. He said, science hasn't even caught up to this. They haven't caught up to today. They're trying to add AI and do all this transhumanism weirdness and all that stuff. They haven't caught up to light breaking forth on the inside of man. God fully, his full Christology dwelling inside of us. They, they don't have words for that. Because <laughs> I've been looking for words all week. So after nine restarts, after 22 more iterations, after reading good to great nonprofit edition, <laughs> it's like a little pamphlet. It was funny years ago. I'm like, okay, I don't know how to do this. How are we going to get people to come together on something that a God they can't see and then see that frame out your entire interior being that you can't see? Because I read Good to Great Nonprofit Edition, and it says you have to have a cause. And you got to show them, like, if you go feed the poor, then these pe four people got fed. <laughs> I was like, man, I don't know how to, how are you going to get people around an unseen God and an unseen soul? I was like, we'll never get anybody together, Lord. <laughs> he kind of said something to me until I'm seen. <laughs> Oh, oh, and not you. I started hearing words like galactic progeny. I was like, what the is that? I remember a blue glowing helix. I heard words like Takuna Lam, Melchizedek priesthood, Metapolis, which we've now amended to Tevopolis. Glorification what? Rise of Clasternot? The age of the postmaster builder? Remember that one? That's offensive, Lord. Well, it's until you come to. It's not building an idolatrous fivefold ministry, is it? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's right. It was about you, wasn't it? <laughs> so what? Sacrifice and offering I don't want. I don't desire it. It's like the whole church is built off volunteers and offerings. If you threw that out, would anybody ever even come together anymore? Well, I say so what to it? Tevatron. Henry Skugel, The Life of God in the Soul of Man. Have you read it? Read it. He gave it to Charles Wesley, who gave it to George Whitfield. Little Whitfield, slam up. He said God wasn't after these ecstatic flights of spirit or orthodox notion. He was after putting his life inside of a man. He wanted to one himself with a human being. Hey, and as you know, if you come down this path, you are one strange bird. <laughs> They're going to ostracize you. What is Job saying? My family doesn't understand me. My friends don't like me. I lost all these things. I, I, even the servants look down on me. I don't, I'm not even got by my own family members, anybody. I'm like a strange animal. 
I'm like a strange bird to everybody. That guy's a paradox. My eyes glaze over when you talk. I don't even know what you're talking about. You've got a metaphoric block. You've got an abbreviation block. You've got a dense block. You've got a block, a block, a block. I have to, to carve through all that to just understand you, Jesus. Uh, well, it's not for you to know. <laughs> I gave the parable so that you wouldn't know, so that only babes would know. I'm going to have a dependent people, so you can't even understand what I'm saying. Unless you're hungry for him. He'll throw out so many different objections and everything just to see if you'll come after him. Eat my flesh, drink my blood is one. Well, you're a cannibal now. What kind of, what kind of nonsense is that? You can hear him thinking that. Even the disciples are like leaving him. And they said, you going to go away too? He's not even concerned. He's like almost like, you going to go away? I don't care. I got my father. Jesus is so stabilized in his father. He needs nothing to speak about him or give him any kind of honor or anything. He has the father. Ah! <laughs> Take that. <laughs> Me and the father are one. When my mama was down there, my mama had the seed of Christ come down inside of her, impregnated her womb and made me. I'm the fathers, right? And me and him are one. And I'm praying that you will be too. John 17, right? I'm going to clothe you with a stealth investiture. <laughs> I'm going to clothe you in me. And then I, I realize, and now I'm grateful. That the Lord has changed the condition of the test. And he set the condition in himself. Because the other condition would have always been and always has been a no-win scenario. Go try to rescue humanity out of your own strength. And you know what you're going to transact? Your own strength. You know what you're going to do? You're going to wear yourself, slam out. Well, try to go and insulate yourself with everybody else and just say, my four, no more, and I'm elected, predestined, nobody else matters, and see how that goes, too. Or maybe, just maybe, the Lord would, maybe the Lord's been taking us on. Maybe, maybe just maybe. Oh. I got an idea. I'm going to see if they'll trust me. And I'm going to give them me. And we are a peculiar people. <laughs> well. And so... Uh, We went from a conditional amateur or a professional last week to an unconditional election based in only one. And so let the photomorphogenesis begin. And so the Lord this week, I'm sitting down, I'm receiving this from the Lord, and I was like, oh, 
you're a wild man. You're, you're wild, Lord. He said, well, here's what I want to say to you. And uh, this is subjective, so you can take it or you can't. But I know my father, and my father knows me. He says, um, I've longed for a neo-substrate. <laughs> to imprint myself onto. It was like I could hear his masculinity and femininity in the same breath. In the same language, I could hear this courageous male, and in the other, this female that longs and desires. It's like he came in the same double voice, because we know that God is both male and female. And if it was in the same, it was like, I'm courageous about this, and yet at the same time, I'm longing for a relationship. And I was like, oh, I want a neo-substrate. I had to look it up. Neo means new. Isn't that the most novel thing? Do you remember a few weeks ago, Revelation chapter 21? Behold, I declare to you and write this down, I'm making all things, say it, say it, new. The old is gone, the new has come. Yeah, oh, you foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you and turned you back to that old Sinai mindset when I've installed inside of you new. Stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. Justifying yourself and finding yourself justification and finding it among men when I justified you freely and made you new now. And I wanted a substrate. Well, I had to look that up too. I'll read it to you. It means... um, an underlying substance or layer, the surface or material on or from which an organism lives, grows, and obtains nourishment. Now, in this case, God doesn't obtain nourishment. He's uncreated. But the substance on which an enzyme acts, a material which provides the surface on which something is deposited, listen, or inscribed, And he takes me back to X2M88, right here, preaching. Remember, you'll remember this. Extract out the remnants of the mechanical substrate. Remember that? Throw that thing out, man. It's corroded. It's rusted. It's Throw it out. And he says this. Throw out. He wakes me up. Extract out the remnants of the mechanical substrate and restore. I want the restoration of a full hypostasis. I want a divine Melchizedek interface for translucent, open-ended architecture. <laughs> I've, been, I've been wanting, I've been wanting a neo-substrate all along. Uh, let me say it another way. I'm Shakan. I want to integrate with your Mishkan. You know what I mean? You're a tabernacle. You were made for me. I've got this eight-point substrate, this hypostasis, and I want to connect with you on eight points. I found them out. Mem, Lamikov, Yo, Dagish, Zadeh, Dalit, Kof, Melchizedek. I want to have a full integration with you. The thing was colluded. It's been rusted. It's been troubled inside. I'm wanting to come in just like I have hypostasis with the Father. I want to fix your hypostasis. I want to restore you for open-ended architecture. 
I'm wanting to lay on to you. That was X2M88. I had no idea we were going to go through this Christology. At that point, I had no idea. I thought, oh, you built the substrate. 17 years of pioneering to get that. 17 years. I finally found it, pulling up in our driveway up the mountain saluto. Set up the tabernacle according to the pattern which is revealed to you on the mountain. And I found it. It was the hypostatic union. That God wanted a way to integrate his divine nature into your nature by light, by himself. And lay on to you his Christology. Who would have thought of such a thing that you could have the full entire divine nature of God? <sighs> and we've been peddling for all this other nonsense. And it was never going to win. Never going to win. And I thank God that he's like shut all that other stuff down. And that we were grasping. We've been grasping as the living church. We've been grasping after this thing and that thing and this thing and that thing. Third wave, five folder. Blah, 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 blah. And the Lord wanted us. He wanted a photomorphogenesis. <laughs> he wanted a clean print that he could imprint himself onto. The thing's been filthy. But he's declaring that I purified it, made it new. Now let me imprint myself onto you. Uh, he's the sole expression of the glory of God. Hebrews 1, verse 3. He is the living light being, the outrain of the radiance of the divine. He is, listen, the perfect imprint. What is this word? Character in the Greek. Imprint is character. It's a marker engraved or impressed upon. It means a stamp or to put a stamp into use, something to be impressed upon. Jesus is the very image, it says, of God's nature. What is this image? Hypostasis. The nature, the nature is hypostasis. Do you see what I'm saying? And so as he is, so shall we be when we see him as he is. You understand? God's been after the hypostatic union, the new substrate, the neo-substrate. Why? So he could lay his Christology, his character onto that hypostasis. This is what Job was saying, because I said, God, give me a way to say this. He said, look at, look at Job and his revelation of me. Listen to this. And, oh, that my words were written down and they were written on a scroll. What's Job talking about? Job was feeling and, and saying this in, in the text. He said, oh, that my, an iron chisel with lead would be engraved in a rock forever. Job was getting a revelation of this way before 42. He was getting a revelation of something of an imprinting onto himself. He's saying, I, I, I want it to be written down. I don't really know how to explain this. I want it to be chiseled in. I want it to go in firm. I'm, I'm wanting to see some kind of imprint happen. 
Any of you written books? Some of you have written books. You, you write that book because you want to express something out of what's written in here. The Lord's like, Job was getting this. I was bringing this revelation to him. Job's going to have a multi-layered revelation of who God is. But before he does, back in 19, he's going to get this understanding of, oh, I wish what was happening right now could be imprinted. And maybe like during the time of Martin Luther wanting to get the word of God out and get the printing press printed out there so it wasn't just read in the Latin, but it could be read in the German, the vernacular. I'm wanting an imprint to happen. I'm wanting something to go into a rock here that's going to last. I need something that's stable and I need stability. Job's, Job's revelation is coming. The Lord shows me this. He's, as for me, I know that my vindicator lives. I like the word vindication better than redeemer because it's been used in popular culture so much that I almost like we've lost what it means. And what Job was saying is, he said, he's going to say, I'm, I'm grown so, I've grown weary in awaiting. Because I, hopefully you can understand this, but when you go this route, uh, you that are here, you've taken this route, or you're being uh, invited into it. If the prophetic and intercession, the worship and uh, your job and whatever, 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 whatever is not going to vindicate you, then only one can. Like, if you go all in because the Lord is like this, he, if you go all in for him, what you're doing basically is you're saying you're the one that's in charge of my whole entire existence. And you're the only one that's going to get me out of this predicament that I'm in. Because if I don't base my life, just what happened with Gus a few weeks ago, if, I, if I'm going to say like Paul that everything's done, I count it all as like whatever, so that I may attain Christ, then you're going to have to go ahead and know this. You're going to be waiting for the Father to vindicate your life. You go all in with the Lord, you'll give your stuff away a lot. A lot of us have. You'll be offloading. People will have things in common. You won't be able to go out and put your name in lights. You, 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 you will be completely like sitting there with nothing. And unless God delivers, no one's going to deliver you because the Lord will set you up like that. And Job is saying, I recognize one thing. I know that the one who vindicates me lives right now. I mean, the Lord, he'll run you to the edge. <laughs> and <laughs> Nothing. I have no way to affect any change. I can't do anything. I could say something, but I can't. But I, I could prove it, but I won't. Y'all know what I mean. Job had a revelation of this. He wasn't going to allow himself to be the one who vindicated himself anymore. And I know that at the last of everything that I'm going through, he's going to stand on the earth. He's going to rise. Remember Stephen a couple weeks ago in the sermon? Remember Stephen? He's, being, he's going to be stoned to death. He said, I saw heaven open and what? I saw the Son of Man what? Cost him his life. Blasphemer. 
you dishwashing blasphemer? You widow waiting table blasphemer? Well, you think you're like a super hot shot now? They killed that guy. I saw him standing. And I'm telling you to see, to have a revelation of Jesus standing, Christ standing in you, will cost you your life. I, I actually, I, I was telling the Lord the reason I was so blown away by that was I was still actually living. Because I thought this message is hostile. Because when Christ stands up in you and you say, when you see me, you see the Father. <laughs> Try that. You see Christ living in me? No, it's blasphemy. No, it is not. So we are not saying we are Jesus. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father right now. But he wanted to give us his full, entire Christology, his full, entire self. You can't talk like that. You can't believe like that. Well, let me tell you, yes, you can. That was what God was doing with Job. He told me, I said, I've never really understood. He says, oh, look at what was happening to him. If you'll study the revelation of Job throughout his uh, dialogue, he's growing in greater understanding. I'll tell you of this one thing. He loves me so much. He wants to be so right next to me. Wait a minute. It's like God and Job are this far out in this communication early on, and they keep closing the gap. I know he's going to stand out there, but then Job gets into it a little bit more. I know he's going to stand on the earth, but listen to what he says. This doesn't make any sense. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. How is your skin destroyed and you're in your flesh? The Holy Spirit told me this week, he said he was getting a revelation. I was putting him through all that suffering because I was going to one myself with Job. And I was taking out everything he had placed his trust in so that I could access him. I wanted to install myself inside of him. The only way I can do this because for you and for any of us, the only way I could ever do this is if you in the middle of your struggle would set your gaze on me. And you know what I'll do for you? I'll give you me. Line upon line and precept upon precept, I will give you my very own self. Eventually, yourself and myself will be one. When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You're going to look so much like me. It's me living in you and you living in me. You won't know where one ends and one begins. I wanted something so much more. The scholars were saying that, that he was saying that I'm going to rise. 
there's not going to be any more separation. You guys, you Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, you guys do not know what you're talking about. You thought he was punishing me. He wasn't just curing me. He was giving himself to me. My eyes are looking up and I see him. Seeing me, seeing him. And I know that I've become like him. And even after my skin is destroyed, I yet in my flesh I will see God. I will see him for myself. This week I was I was sitting there and I said, I feel so weak, Lord. I feel so weak. I don't like this feeling. I feel so exposed and so weak. I felt it last week in this meeting, probably more than I ever have in my entire life. I feel so weak, Lord. He said, I'm closer now than I've ever been. I feel maxed out. I'm closer now than I've ever been. I'm closer now than I've ever been. I'm closing the gap. I'm shrinking the gap between you and me and me and you. Let's stand together. I feel like I'm going to faint, Lord. It reminds me of Isaiah. He's up there. In the throne room. Whoa. I'm going down. Daniel 10. He said, all my comeliness went from me. I abhorred my own face. The very nature of God himself had come. The Jesus himself, pre-incarnate Christ, appears. Everybody runs out of the room. All the prophetic voices in that day. Daniel's 80-something years old. Down on his face saying, oh man, John, in Revelation, Peter, Matthew 17 at the transfiguration, falling as dead men. Why? Because the one who has fulfilled all conditions that humanity can never fulfill has appeared to my consciousness. Revelation 5, I wept, John said. Who's going to take the scroll? Only one found worthy. Only one. The one, the one with the condition fulfilled at the cross. Done. And I want that condition, him. And I don't want any other one. So we lay aside everything and say, oh, King of glory, come in. King of glory, lift up your head, all you gates and you everlasting doors. 
and the King of glory will rush in. your heart, trust. What have I placed my trust in? Nothing else. Lord, divest me of everything I place my trust in. I don't want to say that. Might as well. He's coming. The Lord's coming back. He's coming back on this condition that they look just like me. That's what the Father's looking for. That is the restoration of all things. Let's overcome the world, even our faith. This is the victory that's overcome the world, even your faith. Eyes on Jesus, eyes on the one. Eyes pitched up looking at the one. Eyes only set on him. You made me, I was made for you. Your name is Jesus. Ooh. 
all Stephen uh, sings and play law, so let's come together and, uh, for communion. what the tabernacle of David was. So I started looking at it. I feel like the mystery is there, and I kind of scratched the surface. But it's kind of amazing when you look at it. The tabernacle of Moses is the law system, and that was set up there. And David breaks out of that, and he builds this tent. And what does he put in that tent is the, ta is the Ark of the Covenant. The presence of God gets brought uh, from out, and that's when Uzziah died. All that happened, and it was brought up into this tent, and this tent didn't have a veil. There was no Holy of Holies. The Ark was there. Everybody was welcome. It wasn't one priest going in. It was everyone could come in, and there was not a solemn worship built on. The worship in the Temple of Moses was built on sacrifices, but the worship in the Tabernacle of David is built on joy, and everyone could bring every instrument was in play. So it's just, it's so beautiful that like sometimes I felt like the Old and the New Testament were like far apart. And how did, how do we see this freedom in the Old Testament? And I feel like God's like, there it is. It was right there for a season where David set that tabernacle up. And that's the tabernacle we want to enter into, not the law system. And do you know where he built this tabernacle? Do you know the mountain he built this, that David built the tabernacle of David on? was Zion. So we could choose to be in this other system with the law, but you can go into the Zion and enter into the joy and the worship. And this was a lively place where there was worship and God was there. David would lay in front of the ark and experience God. So I just want to encourage us to see the tabernacle as not the temple where the law is based, but the tabernacle entering in to 
where God's presence is and the joy of the Lord is there. We're all invited. There's no veil. There's nothing you have to do. There was no sacrifice ever done in the temple of, I mean, this tabernacle of David. There was no sacrifice system. It was just enter in and be present with him. So I just encourage us today to enter that tabernacle of David. conditions aside the one who's met them all <laughs> it's all done it's all finished it's complete thank you for the finished work Lord the Lord took the bread and he broke it and he said this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me Genesis. It's your blood has purchased. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant which is poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Like this, yeah? Raise your hand. Thank you, Lord. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may you have peace. Amen. Bless you today. And I am his promised bride. And I'm destined to wear white. My chest is full of hope And a dress and veil as snow And he said he'd come for me He'd know when I'm ready And my heart is aching
Desire. 